Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. <laughs> We've been in this series called Healthy Church, and we're actually finishing today the study of the book of Titus. So if you have a Bible or you have your device, go to Titus chapter 3. Next Sunday, we're going to have a sharing service, and the theme or the, the, the unifying idea of the sharing service is going to be Healthy Church. So I would invite you to be thinking what you might be able to share about the church, the healthy church God has planted in your heart, the dream that you've had, something you've always wanted to be a part of, that kind of a church, or what kind of church does this area need, a healthy church? And where are we healthy and where are we growing toward health? So that will be uh, next week, and we will be baptizing next week, and that's an exciting time for us. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you something. I'm going to make a request of you. I'm an interim pastor. Been here 14 months, and it has been a tremendous joy uh, to be here. But we have launched the pastor search team to look for Pastor Next, God's man, and we desperately need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this. So I want to ask you to join Ruthie and me and many others in 21 days of prayer beginning October 31st. What that means is that you will choose an hour of the week, a day and an hour, and that hour you will use to pray for our church, for the next pastor, as well as a number of other things that we'll have. There are um, tools that are available. You say, I don't know if I've ever prayed for an hour. Uh, there are three different ways that we're going to recommend that you can use to pray for an hour. Um, if I choose Thursday morning at 8 o'clock, I'll get a call, like I did last time we did this, from Kathy Livingston or a text saying, okay, it's your turn. And then at 9 o'clock, I'll text John Cronin and say, John, it's your turn for, uh, to pray. And in that way, we will go from 5 in the morning until midnight, covering an entire week for three weeks, a continual chain, kind of like the, the Roman soldiers would lock shields together to make them invincible as a defense against any attack. You say, well, how do I even sign up? There's a QR code there, and I would ask you to take your phone right now if you have not signed up and scan that. Or you can use the handout, the bulletin that you receive. The same QR code is there. That will take you to a place where you can sign up for a particular day and hour. And you say, well, what if someone else has already signed up? Is it bad to have two people praying at the same hour? Not at all. Not at all. But you'll be able to do that, and I'm asking you to do this, do this today so that we can make the calls, make sure everybody knows who is before and who is after. So that begins October the 31st. I want to ask you to join me in doing this, filling up an entire 21 days from early in the morning until fairly late at night. Okay? Titus chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen. John's going to help me with this, and we're going to read this um, responsibly. I'm going to read the first slide, and then John's going to lead you in reading the second slide. Let's go ahead and stand so we've got air in our lungs. And we'll read right through the chapter, and then I want to share with you a word that I learned this 
week that I think every one of us is going to be able to identify with, resonate with. So Paul said to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, let me go ahead and do this one. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our hope is to devote themselves to doing good is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word, and you can be seated. So Paul begins, and he says, remind the people and I think that is because of a word that I learned this way, last week. It's the word habituation. Everybody, everyone's a habituation. It's, it's the tendency to notice or to stop noticing something or responding to something that's been a part of the environment for a long period of time. It, it, just doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't click after a while. For example, you buy a new watch, and those first few days, you're aware of that watch all day long. But after a while, even though the watch is there, you just lose track of it. You don't think about it very much. Or you move into a new house or a new apartment, and you have a list of things to be changed or repainted or uh, fixed. Some of you have been living in a house for years, and you still have that list. The, we just get used to living with things that we said needed to be changed or needed to be repainted. In some, we've habituated we're, not, we're used to it. We hardly ever, hardly ever notice it anymore. We've learned to live with it. And this idea of habituation doesn't happen only with watches and something we wear or with where we live. It happens with our spiritual life. 
Someday you hear about the wonder of salvation, the fact that you can actually be forgiven of your sins and that God himself can live in you by the person of the Holy Spirit and give you gifts and he will adopt you into his family, give you a purpose not only for this life but into the next life and you're overwhelmed. You choke every time you want to sing Amazing Grace. But after a while, you're not overwhelmed anymore. I mean, it's still there. The salvation is there. But you just don't think that much about it. You've kind of gotten used to the idea of being forgiven. You're used to the idea of having a Bible or worship or church. We grow accustomed to things. We don't notice them anymore. So what was once a wonder to us and overwhelming, now it's like the watch. Still there. Just don't think about it too much anymore. And not only is it possible for us to habituate and forget or take for granted the wonder of salvation, we can do that same thing with sin in our life. See, when people become Christians, sometimes we say, things have got to change with me. And maybe we're not even sure of all the changes that need to take place, but I've got to do some things differently because Jesus himself is coming and making his home in my soul. But over time, something happens. And we learn to live with sin in our life. We hardly notice it. And so Paul says, remind the people, tell the people to remember. Someone once said, I was telling Pastor uh, David over here, it's not so much sometimes that we need to learn something new. We need to be reminded of things that we already know. In the first two verses, Paul tells Titus, remind the people, and he mentions a lot of things that have to do with obedience. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. But if you have your Bible, look at verses 3 through 7. Bible teachers and scholars say this is the most succinct, complete description of the wonder of salvation, the, the biblical doctrine of salvation that you can find anywhere. In fact, a lot of people think this was an ancient creed, that when that early church gathered in the, in the gatherings, they would recite this, or it was a hymn, words of a hymn, and they, they sang this. If you want to understand salvation, there's no better place than this. So what I want to do is what Paul told Titus to do. I want to remind you of some things. I want to help all of us to remember the wonder of our salvation. And he begins by saying the, the first wonder is, is our need for salvation, the, the doctrine of sin. And in verse 3, I don't know if you noticed what he said. In verse 1, he says, remind them to be obedient. And you expect him to say, now, remind them they, they were once foolish. He doesn't do that. He says, we were once foolish. Titus, people on Crete, me, we were once foolish. And folks, that's me. Apart from Jesus, he begins to describe what my life would be like and what your life would be like. Foolish. In the Bible, a fool is not someone who doesn't understand as, someone, as much as someone who is not willing to understand because he or she thinks they already know. They're so arrogant, they're so proud, you can't teach them anything because they believe they've already known something. A fool is someone who keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and expects a different result. That's me, apart from Jesus. He says disobedient. All of us know about disobedience. How many of you have children? Sermon over. The kids don't have to be taught to be, to be disobedient. It's like something is hardwired in us to reject or resist authority. And as we get older, we just get more sophisticated at doing that. 
any kind of law, any kind of rule, any kind of authority. There's something in us that just wants to resist that. And apart from the grace of God, that's me and that's you. Led astray. One of the versions of King James says, deceived. And the idea is in the grip of an evil power that you cannot even begin to describe. That's me, apart from Jesus. And in fact, he says, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Sometimes we think, if I could only do what I want to do, I would be free. And the reality is, a lot of the things that we could do what we really wanted to do would enslave us and put us into a kind of of bondage. It's the classic lie of the addict. I can stop anytime I want to. Really? You know, the worst lies, folks, that we tell ourselves are the, the worst lies that we tell are the lies that we tell ourselves. And Paul talks about this back in Romans. He says, I do the very things I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Have you ever found yourself doing things you really didn't want to do? Because apart from the grace of God in my life, no matter how much I want to be a good person, I end up doing things I really don't want to do. And I suspect I'm not the only one. So let's do a mass confession. All right? Mass confession. How many of you would say, don't raise your hand yet, how many of you would say there's at least one area of my life that I cannot perfectly control in my thoughts or my feelings or by, by behavior? Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's fear or shopping or spending. Maybe it's need to control things. Maybe it's pride or envy. Maybe it's the pace of your life or a bad habit. But how many of you would publicly raise your hands and say, there's at least one area in my life I have a hard time controlling? May I see your hands? Just imagine for a moment the restraining power of God is not active in your life. Just imagine no whispers of the Holy Spirit to make your conscience tender, no Bible to give you support, no church to guide you and encourage you. Imagine the worst, darkest, most destructive tendencies you have grown a thousand times more than they are now. And there's no remorse. There's no regret over it. Just power unchecked in your life that's destructive. That's me apart from Jesus. And because our relationship with God is a mess, apart from Jesus, our relationship to one another is a mess. He says, passing our days in malice and envy. Malice is wishing something bad to happen to someone, and envy is wishing something good not to happen to someone. He says, hated by, hated by others and hating each other. That's really strong language, and we don't like to think of ourselves as hating people being hateful people. But here's the reality. Because of selfishness, that's what we do. When your highest good is yourself, you can't love people. You have to use people to defend yourself or justify yourself or some way advance yourself. So think of where you would be if God just left you on your own. The Bible is very realistic about our need for salvation. But God did not leave us on our own. There's this beautiful phrase in verse 4. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So he goes from the need for salvation, the doctrine of sin, to the cause of our salvation. He saved us. The simplest sentence you can speak 
Subject, verb, direct object, all of you grammarians. And it's not that we saved us. No, it's not by righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. We're the ones who needed to be saved. He was the one who acted to save us. You didn't save you. God saved you. In fact, most of the time when the Bible talks about salvation, it it contrasts two opposites. Either we're saved by our goodness, by what we've done, or we're saved by God's mercy. Either God saves me because of me, or God saves me in spite of me. Either God saves me because I deserve it, or God saves me because I don't deserve it. And friends, if God saved you because you deserve it, you're an awesome person, and we ought to be like you. But if God saves you because in spite of you deserving it, God saves you not because of who you are, then God is awesome, and we should worship him. Maybe everything you've ever done, you had to earn for yourself. With your sweat and your toil, pretty much everything you have because of what you have done, that's not the gift of salvation. It's received by faith in Christ. So just for a moment, imagine it's not like this. Imagine where you would be if God was not a merciful God, if he were a a vengeful God. Imagine if your destiny hinged on you being righteous. Imagine the anxiety of not knowing if you're good enough, if you'll make the cut, if, if no matter how hard you try, maybe God is not pleased. That's where we would be except, he says, when the kindness and love of God appeared in Jesus, he saved us, not because of our acts of righteousness, but because of his mercy. When I was 17 years old, um, I had an old clunker of a car. And one night I drove it to my buddy's house and uh, stayed there till about 11 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock I went out to get in my own clunker of a car and it would not shift into drive. It only shifted into reverse. I'm thinking, I've got to get home. What, what, what do I do? I'll back home. I'll back all the way to home. It's 11 o'clock at night, so I got in my car and I'm backing up. I went down this street, that up street, and then got on the Broken Arrow Expressway in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Backing my way up the ramp where a highway patrolman was sitting. True story. He lit his lights up, came to my window, and said, what in the world are you doing? I told him, my car won't go and drive. I'm trying to get home. He didn't believe me. Get out of the car. I got out of the car. He got in the car. He couldn't get it into drive. So he said, where do you live? I told him the address, and he said, I'm going to go slow. You follow me. And I backed up all the way home following this highway patrol. True story. You know what I was thinking the whole way? I was not thinking, I'm awesome. (laughs) I was thinking, he is merciful. (laughs) He's just, that's a silly story about mercy. But if a highway patrolman could be merciful to a 17-year-old guy who can't get his car to go straight, how much more merciful is a perfect God to us? That ought to drive us to worship, ought to drive us to gratitude and awe. So I just want to remind, I remind you every time you hear the word mercy or grace or love or kindness, every time you feel God's presence in your life, 
Every time you hold a piece of bread like we're going to do in two weeks and hear someone say, this is my body given for you. And every time you hold a cup and hear someone say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. So he says the cause of salvation is just the sheer goodness and kindness of God who saved us by his mercy. And then he says in verse 5, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So here's another part of the wonder of salvation. He's just reminding people of what they already know. There's a need for salvation. That's the doctrine of sin. There's the cause of salvation, his kindness and his mercy and his love. And now the means of salvation. This is the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration just means make something come alive. If you regenerate something, you, you make it come alive. And this is how God saves us, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to the depth of our sin and to the beauty of Jesus. And he cleanses us from our defilement, and he gives us a, a new beginning. He causes something that is dead in us to come alive. It's a spiritual resurrection that the Bible calls the new birth, regeneration. And did you notice, this is not the reward for a devoted life. We don't become a Christian by going to church. We don't become a Christian by, being, by believing in the right doctrines or being baptized or raising our hands in worship. We become a Christian by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to our need and to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. And the whole Trinity is involved. Verse 4, the goodness and loving kindness of God. Verse 5, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, through Jesus Christ our Savior. If you're saved, it's because the whole Trinity got involved in saving you. God the Father planned to save you from eternity past. Jesus the Son poured out his life on the cross and accomplished salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies salvation. The whole Trinity is involved. If you're a Christian, it's because all the Trinity was involved in saving you, opening your heart. That's the means of salvation, the whole Trinity, giving you a new heart, new spirit. So here's something to remember. i just remind you. I was once dead in my sins, but thank God I'm alive now. Don't take that for granted. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. The new birth is not something we do. It's something God does. I heard about a group of scientists that were having a discussion and arguing with God, and a scientist said, the human race now is so smart, we no longer need you. We can do anything you do. And God said, well, I did create life out of the dust of the earth. And the scientist said, well, we've learned so much about the emergence of life from amino acids and the animation of tissue. We can go in the lab and we can create life just like you do. God said, all right, go ahead and try. The scientist reached down, scooped up a handful of dirt and said, oh no, get your own dirt. God said, get your own dirt. Only God can create life out of nothing. And only God can create spiritual life in a person's heart. Only God can bring spiritual life out of spiritual death. Only he can regenerate someone. So right now, right now, notice the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and me right now. He's renewing us right now. I remind you, every time you have a desire to be a better person, 
Every time you experience any kind of a spark of gratitude, every time you're convicted of your sin and you're moved to repent, every time you're tempted to lie and you just speak the truth, that's not a coincidence. That's not your character. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the Holy Spirit washing over you. Think where you would be without the Holy Spirit renewing you and refreshing you. Here's another key aspect of the wonder of salvation. Our need for it, doctrine of sin, the cause of it, the mercy and loving kindness of God, the means of it being made new by the Holy Spirit. Here's the meaning of salvation. Verse 7, so that being justified by His grace. The word justified, every, every person in the legal profession knows that. It just means declared right, not guilty, acquitted. Justice has been served. And the gavel came down in the courtroom of heaven, and God Himself said, justified, acquitted, forgiven, not guilty. And you say, how can that be? Because justice requires that someone pay. If someone hurts you, they ought to pay, right? They did. Jesus got what you deserve, what I deserve, and he gives us what he deserves. This is called the great exchange. He goes on to say, we have become heirs. Who's going to get your stuff when you die? You say, well, my family is, my, 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 kin, my kin's. Children are heirs. Now think about that. When you die, your family gets your stuff. This all means that if God calls us his heirs, not only has he forgiven us, he has welcomed us into his family as adopted sons and daughters. This is not just legally forgiven. This is relationally. He's brought us in according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, Titus, remind the people one day the trumpet is going to sound, the graves are going to open up, and the dead in Christ will rise, and you will rise, and you and I will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you'll have treasure there that moth and rust, moth and rust cannot corrupt, and thieves can't break in and steal. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying. It's a sure thing. So just imagine you have no hope. Imagine not having hope. Imagine that you and your family are just a collection of atoms with no purpose, no future. That's where we'd be without salvation. But it's not so. You are made an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ, which is why Christians all through the centuries have gone to their death singing. Martyrs burned at the stake singing. Why? Because their hope is not in this world. Because death means you lose everything, but as Christians, we lose nothing when we die. We have it all in hope of the future, hope of eternal life. So I remind you, friends, every time you experience hope, every time discouragement comes, but you don't give in to it, every time you decide to face another hard day, Every time you experience this inner surge of resolve, just, just keep going. That's not an accident. That's not your perseverance. That's not a coincidence. That's the gift of hope salvation brings. It's a trustworthy saying, Paul says. Trustworthy, you can count on this. It is true. And he says, stress these things. Remind the people about the wonder of salvation. 
And then he says, I want you to remind the people how saved people live. The evidence of salvation. You know what the tragedy is in the North American church? It's that millions of people believe they are God's people. Not everybody is God's people. Everybody is God's creation. But only saved people are God's people. Millions of people believe they are God's people and show no evidence of it. Insist on living like unsaved people do. So how do we demonstrate that we're saved? How do saved people live? And Paul says it three times in this chapter alone. This is so simple. This is not rocket science. I think we complicate the Christian life so often. Three different times in this chapter. Let me read it. Verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Verse 8, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. How do saved people live? They're ready to do whatever is good. In fact, look at verse 13. He says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer. Be ready to help even a lawyer, he says. Just, that's God's simplest command. Whatever is good. Think of the difference it would make in Longview, in our area, if you and I would go through life with this one thought, with one prayer. Lord, whatever's good. I want to do whatever's good today, Lord. Help me to know and pursue whatever is good. So I want to challenge you between now and the end of the year. I want to challenge you every morning, tomorrow morning, Get up and thank God for the wonder of salvation and then say this prayer. Lord, help me to do today whatever is good. Write it on a card, put it on your mirror, put it on the dash of your car, put it at your workstation on your computer. Just say, Lord, all right, today I'm going to go through this one day and I'm gonna, whatever is good, I'm going to do it. You can do this. You literally can do this. You can do it at work. You can do it at home. You can do it at, at school. Just write the words down. Whatever is good. This week, you're going to be interrupted. Question. When you're interrupted, is your first thought, I wonder what is good right now? Probably not. One of the most fascinating studies that you'll ever do is to go through the life of Jesus and watch how many times he was interrupted. He's going one place to do one thing, and he gets interrupted to do something else. And the most memorable events in the life of Jesus are all about those interruptions that take place when he does good. So when you're interrupted, this week, this is going to happen. When you're interrupted, just stop for a moment and say, God, I'm ready to do whatever's good. Maybe you can help the person. Maybe you can't. Maybe you've got another commitment. But just ask for the wisdom, whatever is good. Tomorrow morning when you open your wallet, tomorrow at lunch if you open your wallet or your purse to buy lunch or, or go shopping, if you're responding to a need, just pause a moment and say, whatever's good, whatever's good. Tomorrow when you open your mouth to speak, whatever is good. And Paul says, Paul says Titus, there's so many things that fall under this category. For example, be subject to rulers. He says, Christians are not above the law. We're to be good citizens. There are times when we must disobey because of conscience, because it's a violation of what we're commanded by Christ. But we're to, we're to respect and be subject to authorities and rulers. Slander no one, he says. No more gossip. No more talking negatively about people. He says, 
No foolish controversies and no more foolish arguments. Now, there are controversies that are worth having, but most of them are not. There are arguments worth having. Most of our arguments are not profitable, not useful. Speak only what is good, he says. You know, for some of us, if we took this seriously, we'd have a really quiet day tomorrow. One of my favorite cartoons is The Wizard of Id. And one day, Rodney, one of the warriors, comes into the king, and his helmet is on backwards, and his horse is crippled, and he's all battered and bruised. And the king says, where, where have you come from? And he says, I have come from fighting your enemies in the west. We killed them. We plundered them. We, we attacked your enemies in the west. And the king says, I don't have any enemies in the west. He says, you do now. <laughs> Stop trying to make enemies. As much as is in you, live at peace with everyone. Strive to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if a person is divisive in the church because of some conviction they have, gently warn them. Don't be divisive. Treasure the unity of the church. Guard the unity of the church. If you continue to be divisive, just warn them again. Third time, ask them to go somewhere else. Whatever is good, he says, this is how Christians live. This is the evidence of salvation, a changed heart. And only the gospel of Jesus can give you that kind of goodness where you're not concerned with whether people notice you or you get credit for it. it it's the overflow of a changed heart. Wonder, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the wonder of salvation. And I just want to live my life as a response saying, Lord, whatever is Good. So I want to close like this. I want to ask you to remember three things. It's the same thing Paul said to remind the people of. Number one, remember the wonder of your salvation. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, first thing in the train yourself. Lord, thank you for the incredible gift of salvation. Two months ago, Ruthie and I celebrated our 49th anniversary. We remembered and we celebrated. We didn't begin a new relationship. We just enjoy the relationship we've had for 49 years. That's what every Sunday ought to be for us here at Fellowship Bible Church. Just remembering, celebrating, enjoying the presence of God and being reminded we were far from God and now he's brought us close. That's what every day ought to be for a Christian. Delighting in, remembering, just renewing the relationship we have with the Lord by grace through faith in Christ. Remember the wonder of your salvation. Number two. Remember to do whatever's good. Say those words, whatever is good. Lord, I want to do whatever is good. You'll have an opportunity today to practice that. Here's the third thing. You see it on the screen. Remember all the people who do not yet know the wonder of salvation. Because here's the truth, folks. We get habituated to the fact. We get used to the fact that the people we know and work with in our neighborhood, live next to, we forget they have no forgiveness of sins. They've never tasted God's mercy. Worst of all, they're not heirs of God. They live day, life, day by day without the presence of the God or the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. They face an eternity without Christ and without hope. And sometimes we just get used to that. We hardly even notice it anymore. I think one of the most amazing things about Jesus is he never got used to living in a fallen world. He never got used to people dying and going to hell. 
He noticed people. He wept for people. He loved people. He died for people who were far from God. I wonder what if we notice people the way Jesus noticed people. God's going to give you opportunity this week. I just remind you, don't ever get used to people living and dying apart, apart from God. Let's not forget those who don't have the wonder of salvation. And chances are that some of you, you don't become saved by listening to a sermon on salvation. You become saved by responding in repentance and faith to a sermon on salvation. And I just invite you to do that this morning. What God is asking you to do is to humble yourself and say, Holy Spirit, would you come and work repentance in me? Would you give me a new heart? Would you awaken faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in me? That's the invitation. And I just want to conclude with this. You're in a room full of people who have done that. You're in a room full of people who were once foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved living in malice and envy, being hated and hating. But the goodness and grace and the loving kindness of God intervened and something happened and the Holy Spirit changed us and we'd love to see that happen to you as well. So we're going to stand and sing. Worship team, come on up if you would. Go ahead and stand if you would, please. We're going to stand and sing. And after we sing... A prayer team is here at the front. Be all across the front. And if you have not been saved in a way that changed your heart, I invite you at the end of this service to walk up to any one of the folks here, men or women here, and just say, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray about that. Would you pray for me about that? We can pray about something else. We're happy to do so. But that's the invitation this morning. So let's sing, and then they'll be we'll be here at the front. Hallelujah! All I have is Christ. Hallelujah.